0: Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life.
1: It is your job to seek out, not to let it fall in your lap, not to let it show up by default, to seek out positive propaganda to reinforce where you want to go and what you want your life to look like.
0: Hey, everyone, it's Ash here back on U-Turn Podcast, and I have a really special guest today, one of my favorite people who's newly entered my life the past few months through my social circle who's just blowing my mind, not just in everything you know, but the person you are and the person you married. I really find that Chris Harder, who's here, Embodies a good soul on so many levels. And we have so much to learn from him about how to up level your money mindset. So Chris Harder is an entrepreneur. He's the founder of the for the love of money brand, which aims to help people bust through their limiting beliefs. And he also has incredible podcasts you got to check out called the for the love of money podcast. And so before we get into all of it, Chris, just thank you so much for being here with me.
1: Actually, totally my pleasure. I love when you said that I've newly come into your life and, and it's been fun to get to know each other. It's been a freaking gift. It's a for gift. Me. It's been a gift for me. So I'm so excited to sit down with you right now.
0: Mm, thank you. It's, it's mutual. And I uh, it, it's so fun because those of you listening, Chris and I were at the same conference a couple weeks back and he brought his wife, Lori, who I feel like is going to be such a part of this conversation too. And my mom was there and she was just witnessing really for the first time a seminar in her life. The only seminar she ever been to is one that I put on with a hundred women or something. So for her to be in the audience and for her to meet you guys and see the people that I associate with, people that I would call friends, it was a really profound experience for her. Getting in the card back, she's like, wow, they have a really beautiful mindset, Ashley. Like I didn't realize that you are around this all the time because I think in my family, I'm a bit more quiet because I don't relate to everyone Mm -hmm. in my family. And I think this is relevant as we talk about upgrading your money mindset.
1: Yeah, that's funny because I would have thought your mom was around that all the time. Like she was just so calm and cool and collected and like fit right in immediately. Funny, I had no idea that was one of her first larger seminar type experiences your mom's badass by the way thank she's you awesome.
0: she's such a sweet lady she's like a woman she's very christian my dad's jewish but whenever i see my mom i'm like that's a woman of god right there like she's like generous to the community and
1: that's awesome all the that's gotta be a, a like a crazy but cool dynamic in your household to yeah. have both the christian and, and the jewish and, yeah
0: and- Totally, all that out. it that turned to, it. I'm the one that came gifts? out. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> we, it means forgetting one of the holidays, or somebody forgot to get the tree, or somebody forgot the menorah.
1: Oh, no, it's supposed to mean like twice a celebration. Yeah, an abundance of gifts. <laughs> we might need to go back and like remodel how your family does. All I know.
0: Well, that's why I adore you so much, and Lori, because you guys think like this, and yes. so you know, everybody listening. I know that maybe you're on your car ride into work, and I was talking to Chris about like who's listening to U-turn podcast, and. I'm guessing maybe you're on your car ride, maybe you're on a jog and you're tuning into this and you probably have a job or maybe you're thinking about a side hustle, but I know that we all need to take a look at our money mindset. And Chris is somebody I think, I just watch you and you're, you feel embodied to me with your relationship with money. That's what I'm seeing and feeling on you. So. What got you here? And just for everybody listening, like what's your story with money and being a good earner and having good relationships? the money you earn? Because I was a great earner and then I spent it all. So I want to learn from you. You know
1: what's so funny about our stories? I did the exact same thing as you. So here's, I'm going to give you the 30,000 foot overview story and then you can kind of do a deep dive in the parts that you think are interesting for the listeners. So I'm Midwest born and raised. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about the Midwest is this. Um, I feel like you're, you're raised with these good values, like good work ethic and, and good family values. And, and just you're good, you're a good human being when you come from the Midwest. And then if you can take it to one of the coasts where all of the action is going on, that's like the perfect one, two combo for success and, and for leading an epic life. But the story in between me being born and raised in the Midwest and, and now out here on the coast thriving, um, has been a wild ride. Hmm. I am a college dropout. And when I say dropout, I literally mean kicked out, like from partying way too much. And what was (laughs) wild was, you know, my parents thought the best way to a good life was to go to a really good college and get really good grades and get a really good job and work your way up at that really good job. And that should equate to a happy life because that's what my father did. And that's what his father did and so on and so on. And when I got kicked out of college, (laughs) I remember... They were so devastated, like their son's life was over as they knew it. That was gonna be, you know, some gutter trash or something like that. And when I got kicked out, me inside, I was excited because I already wanted to be out in like participating in the economy. I I didn't want to be learning in the moment. I wanted to be learning to experience. I wanted to be doing the do. I wanted to be making money. I want I had this craving to make money and to make something out of myself. Mm. And so, um, they were devastated I was excited and I was like 19 at the time. I said, spent two years there. uh, Maybe I was almost 20 and I go and I get a job at a car dealership and at this car dealership over the course of about 18 months, I learned two very important things, one, I learned sales, the art of sales and number two, I learned leadership because I quickly became the top salesperson there out of about 25 people. Then they promoted me to their f F&I department, finance department. And then I ran that department. And that rapid ascent taught me those two things, sales and leadership. And I feel like if you can learn sales and leadership, you can write your ticket anywhere in life after that. Now, at this time, about a year and a half into this, all of my friends were starting to get into the big mortgage boom, the big banking boom that was happening back then. And this is, by the way, gosh, 20 years ago, maybe 19 years ago. And of course, I wanted to be a part of that boom. Now, here's the problem. I didn't have a college education and most banks required a college education. And I remember I talked my way into getting this interview and then in the interview, the guy basically informed me, hey, I just realized, you know, you didn't didn't finish college and also I've kind of picked somebody up for this position already. So, um, you know, we're just kind of doing this as a going through the motions exercise. And I thought, no way, I'm getting this job. By the end of that interview, I had talked my way into a job offer, and that was the beginning of my banking career, my corporate America career, so to speak. And I quickly became one of the fastest rising executives at the world's biggest international bank at the time, uh, out of like 330,000 employees. Wow! It was, a, it was a wild ride, and again, it was sales and leadership. And you know, we can circle back around and do a deep dive on on how mm-hmm. I had a rapid ascent, and you know, what some of the the things were in corporate America that you know allowed me to do that. But here's what happened. It was all fun and games and it was a a positive atmosphere of growth and and sales and self-development and all the great things that you get to do when things are good. And then the recession hit. And it went from this positive atmosphere to me getting up first thing in the morning, saying goodbye to my wife, getting on the first plane out of, we lived in Minneapolis at the time, first plane out of Minneapolis and flying to some random town like Rapid City, South Dakota or wherever and walking into the bank branch and shutting them down. And that was the worst year of my life. It was, I gained 30 pounds because I was so miserable at the end of each day. I would go back to whatever hotel I was staying at and I would just order comfort food and I would drink, you know, a handful of beers and, until I got into a an altered state where I just felt comfortable. How and old were
0: you when this was happening?
1: I was 29, I believe at this
0: wow, time. Wow. You know what? That's so powerful. I was kind of weirdly hoping that you would say something like along those lines because... I think that's when you're supposed to be crushing it or supposed yeah. to be on the brink of all the best things. And for me, I lost all my money when I was 28,
1: 29. Mm-hmm. So, so get get this. Tell me about that. During this time, not only was it the most miserable time of my life physically and in terms of the you know what I had to do day in and day out, it was also the most miserable part of our marriage because if I'm a miserable person, that means I'm also a miserable partner. Yeah. Right? So all of that is really in a bad spot. And then to add insult to injury, um, I had lived way beyond our means the entire time. So every year I'd get a massive promotion and a massive raise and a massive bonus. And I was young. I thought it was going to last forever. I was like, wow, this is easy. It's like printing money. It's just fun. Mm. And so um, I would move Lori to a new city every single year. And I'd say, hey, babe, go pick out a house. I'm getting on an airplane. And we would do it over and over and over again. And... Because I thought it would last forever and because I was a naive 20-something, and I'm not painting all 20-somethings as naive, but yeah, that, that was happens. me. That was me. Mm-hmm. And also because of my money mindset. We can get into that in a little yeah, bit. I'm so excited. I had just burnt through all the money and then some that we were making. And when the recession hit, I took the first year, a $150,000 pay cut plus lost all my bonuses. And then the next year, after you know shutting down all the bank branches, they said, hey, it's your turn. You can take a severance package or you can take a demotion of a demotion of a demotion of a demotion and go run a branch in Jersey. And I said, give me the severance package. And they, I remember I'm sitting in the office as my boss and my boss's boss. And he says, well, don't you want to go check with your wife first? And I said, Oh, trust me. She wants me out of here. Like it was not a good situation. So I took the severance package and here's a crazy thing, Ashley. It was a multiple, multiple six figure severance package. And I had to spend the whole thing on just getting back to slightly below zero getting rid of the giant home we just built, getting rid of all the cars, why we had a bunch of cars, I don't know. Like getting rid of everything that was so unnecessary and bought out of ego and starting over from barely below zero, wondering what we're going to do next at the tail end of the recession in a little tiny apartment in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And here's what's nuts.
0: And to make matter worse, it's
2: cold. Oh,
1: It's cold brutal, as hell. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Like there'd be two or two, three weeks on end where it was You know, too cold to snow, which is insane. But here's the crazy part about being at a really low point. In the moment, it feels like shit. In the moment, you don't know what's next and it's scary and it's uncomfortable. But the beauty in that is you've got nothing to lose and it's a chance that forces you to reinvent yourself to say, how do I want to show up in the world this time? And it was my chance to strip myself of all the, the bullshit identity that I had built on very false foundations and to say, what do I really offer the world? What am I really good at? What do I really want to do? And that became the beginning of both Lori's and my entrepreneur career that everybody kind of follows today.
0: Wow. And you guys are doing so great at it. So what a good shift. And you know, just listening to your story, no wonder we're friends. And it's so funny because I think that there's some sort of dignity to everybody's rock bottom. And I've learned both through having a sister who was a drug addict and through my own rock bottoms, like never try to rob somebody the dignity of their rock bottom. And with you and I, it's like, no wonder we've connected. And I've only met a few other entrepreneurs. And I know many of them have lost all their money. But it wasn't until I started talking about it where there's like a special sort of snowflake in the room Uh that comes and finds me. And it's like a level of understanding because when you are rocked like that where you lose your money, especially if you're identifying with your money, you're tying your fun, your happiness, your worthiness to the money. It's like the moment it's gone, you are so – you're below – it feels like you're
1: below – ground zero. Oh yeah. And we were, I mean, literally we we're below ground zero financially and in in every way at the time. Here's my, my false identity at the time was this. It was, what is your job title? Yeah. How many people are you managing? Uh, what promotion are you up for next? Am I being a good provider to my wife? And I say that in a joking way, people could see me doing the, the finger quotes because <laughs> I was the worst provider on the planet. Right. But I thought, Hey, I'm I'm out here making the money and and you get to just pick out a house and do whatever you want. So you have a good life. I'm being a good provider, which we all know after doing some self-development is nowhere near being a good provider or a good partner. And it was how shiny can my life look to my peers and my employees and to everybody else. That was my identity at the time, all those things. And those are all such, you know, surface level shallow things, but it's almost like a rite of passage that some of us are meant to go through Mm -hmm. so that we can, Use those as the lessons of what we don't want to be and how we don't want to show up for the rest of our lives later when we're meant to go do some real meaningful work.
2: Mm, God, it's
0: like you're speaking to my soul and I'm... Also wondering, you know, and everybody listening, we're definitely going to get into some steps to upgrade your money mindset, but I can't help but ask you about partnership. Like you just mentioned, you know, being a good provider doesn't mean being a good partner. Like what does it mean to be a good partner? I think a lot of people listening and for those of you don't know, you've got to check out Lori Harder and Chris Harder on Instagram. It's just so powerful to see two people who are creating a lot in the world financially, emotionally, spiritually in partnership what do you think it takes to find the right person or to figure out if you're with the right person?
1: You know, when I look back to when Lori and I met, it's, we were nothing like the people we are right now. And yeah.
0: And I've seen pictures. I'm like, who I are always, those people?
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. We were circles. And, um,
0: <laughs> now you guys are fit as fuck. Yeah. I,
1: I, I tell people all the time, like, don't look, you know, okay. Here on Instagram, here's what I can't stand What people are like, I'm searching for my king. I'm searching for my queen. And they're looking for this polished, checks all the boxes, perfect fit for them. It's not going to happen. And you're setting yourself up for failure. Even if you think you find it, you're looking for the wrong things. Here's what Lori and I had from the beginning that got us through the tough times and helped us create the foundation that turned us into the people we are right now. Number one, we always had a few fundamental things in common, and that was exercise and moving our body. Now, even though we looked out of shape at the time, exercise was a still a really big part of our life and 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 what we enjoyed doing together those pictures, that was so funny. That was when I told you I gained 30 pounds. The, <laughs> yeah. Like those pictures are hilarious.
0: Chris posted an Insta story and it was like a picture of him and Lori way back in the day. Uh, I almost didn't uh, recognize you guys. It like, nuts. Are these people? You guys are both such fit, like healthy humans at this point. That That's really so funny. Me. I yeah.
1: love those old pictures. Um, so number one, we always had exercise in common. We we're always moving our body right down to the fact that when we were broke as a joke, we still had our daily walks that we loved taking together. We're talking like one to two hour walks every single day. So we had that in common. Number two, we both knew that we were destined to do something really, really big. We just didn't know what it was at the time. And the pursuit of what was that and what did it look like, we would daydream about that all the time. And we had that in common. Um, We were not the people that embodied success yet, but we were the people that had the desire to go figure it out. And number three, this one's really important. Um, We had this agreement to always try everything on for size before judging if it was for us or not. And this is in every aspect of our marriage. So what I mean by that is, you know, physically speaking, if you're going to go try on some clothes and try them on for size and some are a fit and some are not, well, we have the same thing in our partnership. And that is if Lori says, Hey, I want to switch directions or she brings a new idea or, or she says, Hey, I want to try this instead of me judging it or shooting it down. I've agreed to always try it on for size and if it's not a fit, great, but at least I tried it on for size. So she felt seen and she felt heard, and vice versa when I'm like, Hey, I want to do this or I want to switch directions or whatever crazy ideas I bring, she's always willing to try them on for size and then tell me if it's a fit or not. And it's that openness to try the other person's desires. I think that goes so far in getting you through the good times and the bad times for the long run. And you know, we've been together 16 years, married 13 right now.
0: Wow. And you know what I'm really hearing is something I don't know if you've heard before about what you just said. I'm not here. Well, I heard openness. There's an openness to trying things on for size, but what I actually heard was validation. Mm. And when you look in the world of psychology and ha- when I got my master's in psychology, I learned one of the most damaging things that happen in friendships and in romantic relationships is a lack of validation. Mm-hmm. So it's like the person that says, I'm sad. And, you know, for those of you listening, who don't understand this concept. If you tell somebody you're sad and the person says, but look at all the things you have going for you, they're yes. not validating your sadness. You have the right to feel however you feel. You have the right to think whatever you think. So it's like to be in a partnership or to be in a friendship. And it actually evolves and escalates into the level of being deemed emotional abuse if people can't validate each other. So when I'm listening to you, Chris, and I'm looking at your relationship with Lori, that concept to me doesn't just mean openness and non-judgment. It means like the highest form of validation and trust because it's like Lori looking at you saying, hey, I want to move houses. I'm sick of this house. And you're willing to try that on for size, like move houses. That's like such a form of validation. Like I hear you, I see you, and I'm willing to try this on with you.
1: And it's led to some crazy things that are (laughs) a huge part of my life now that wouldn't be if I wasn't willing to try them on for size, right down to when you talk about validation and being seen, this is so important. Listen, if you have a partner, if you're listening, you have a partner out there. This is one of the ways you can tell if you, if you have the right partner or not. I have never, I, I was not always good at communication in our relationship. My default is to take the shortest route to a to a message possible. <laughs> but I was willing to try on for size when she told me Chris, the way that you deliver the message does not work for me. Instead of me getting defensive, I said, okay, what would work for you? What would that look like? We, we we literally role play what it should look like and sound like when we have to deliver a message to each other so that the other person is able to receive it. Because if I don't care how accurate your message is, I don't care if you're 100% right. If you don't deliver it in a way that the other person can receive it, it's good for nothing. It might as well be, you know, the wrong message. And so... I've learned over time as we've worked on communication and been open to quote trying that on for size, Lori just wants to be seen. Lori just wants to be heard. The way she processes things in life is not her telling me what the problem is and me rushing in with a solution, which a lot of times men try to do. It's her processing out loud, sometimes for, you know, an entire one or two hour walk. What's going on, what the problem is, what her fears are, what her thoughts are, what she's tried, and me just being a good listener instead of trying to swoop in with the solution. And I actually wait now for her to ask me what she thinks I should do and and ask me what the solution should be before I try and offer that up. And if, if people can get that part right, to understand that dynamic between men and women or masculine and feminine and know each other's communication style, everything else gets so much so much easier.
2: Oh
0: gosh, so amazing. Makes me no wonder why Amanda Bucci always says she wants to be your kid. Like, I'm ready to be adopted. <laughs> we would be
1: honored to to have you guys in our family. <laughs> yeah. One big giant happy family. We
0: kind of are, I guess, I at know. this point, which is so nice. Um and I I can't help but wonder money is one of the most challenging dynamics in relationships and both of you guys are great at making an impact loving what you do. Of course, there's always shortcomings in entrepreneurship. There's always losses. There's always sustaining. That's something I never thought about as an entrepreneur. I was so focused on creation. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Chris before we started recording about meditation. And one of the things I learned is that there's three dynamics uh, when it comes to human experience. There's destruction, maintenance, and creation is what she was Emily Fletcher was saying to me and she was saying that if you are in maintenance you're around the corner from destruction
2: mm. and
0: if you're around the corner from destruction you're around the corner from creation so it's all really good wow. news yeah uh, but I think for both of you, you know, we've all gone through some area of business where we're maintaining and then we're around the corner from destruction because mm-hmm. it's not who we are anymore. We've grown. We, our business doesn't fit us. Our old self created something that our new self doesn't match anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I'm so curious to learn, like, what are the keys or what are some indicators before we even get into the keys to actually upgrade your money mindset? What are some indicators of your money mindset? Because you talked about tipping in restaurants. and I thought that was really interesting. I'm curious if there's any others as well.
1: I mean, there's so many. So The first thing is always understanding the fact that you do have a money mindset pattern. And this is whether you work in corporate America, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are staying at home and maybe you pay the bills, like it does not matter what your role in life is. You have a pattern, you have a money mindset and it is not good or bad. It just is right. Because there's no such thing as good or bad. There's just how you want to show up in life. So if you want to be a vagabond and travel the world and live in tents and have experiences and and that's what you desire. Great. Nobody can tell you that's good or bad. And if you want to have a mansion in Beverly Hills and it fulfills you in some way, nobody can tell you that's good or bad or greedy or not greedy. It just is how you want to show up in life. And so you have to make sure that you are matching this pattern that you've been displaying in life in regards to your financial habits and your money mindset, You're matching that pattern to how you want to show up in life. A lot of people want to show up one way, but their pattern keeps sabotaging that way that they want to show up. And it's not until you become aware that you've got this pattern of sabotaging what you really desire that you're even going to do anything to change it anyway. So awareness is always step one. There's this book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker, and this book changed the game it changed everything for Lori and I when we were down and out we read this book together out loud in bed every night when we'd go to bed Um, now picture this we're in this apartment we're down and out we're reinventing ourselves we're we'd go to bed at the same time we've done that our, our entire marriage and when I was tired she would read it out loud when she was tired, I would read it out loud, and we'd do a couple chapters a night. So cute, man! Real sexy, right? So like, cute. let me tell you, the least sexy thing is reading a money mindset book out loud to when each you're other both in bed. broke as fuck, right? Yeah. Right. Got but it. noted, it, it, there was something powerful about doing it together. Yeah. And one of the things we learned is that you have this this um, financial thermostat, and no different than the, the thermostat on the wall over there, you get what you set it. So if you set it high, you're going to get you know a higher temperature. If you set it lower, you're going to get a lower temperature. And it was though, this awareness that, oh my God, I have always gotten where I have set my financial thermostat. What would happen if I totally and radically reset this financial thermostat for something way higher? Would I get that too? And we experimented with it, and the answer was yes. We went from um, so in the Midwest. 19, 18, 17, 16, 15 years ago, 300 grand a year was a ton of money yeah, in for the Midwest. Sure. And it got you a really good lifestyle. A ton of money,
0: a lot of places, but definitely. Absolutely. In the yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't mean to, to you can crush to, it in the Midwest. Totally. Yeah. But then we said, well, what would happen if we made a million? Because we kept bumping up against that number. And we did the things to reinforce this new thermostat, so to speak, set at a million dollars. And we went that year from broke and reinventing ourselves to a million dollars than our first time we've ever earned a million bucks a year the very next year so i'm telling you awareness and then intention around resetting your expectations of yourself is so freaking powerful mm. now i want to be honest you can't just like be like i want to make a million dollars i've reset my thermostat it doesn't work that way you have to do the work you have to set the thermostat and then work backwards saying okay if this is what i desire where would it come from if, um, you know, you, you got to lay down the set of tracks, but the first step is that awareness and resetting that expectation of yourself.
2: Mm.
0: Do you know what? I was uh, just learning how to manifest and I've been really interested in it because I know in our circle, people talk about manifesting. People yeah. say, I'm a great manifester and I've created a lot of great things in my life. I've created a lot of not so great things, you know, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I don't judge them because I know it's all learning. Uh, but I'm so curious when it comes to, resetting your thermo- thermometer. What are some good, and you talked about patterns um, and then kind of going back to tipping, you'd said tipping is a good way to kind of see. So before yeah. we start recording, so tell me a little bit about that for everybody to kind of learn, this like, where are you guys my, at yeah, with is, your money this mindset? Usually,
1: like this will wake some people up. So most people have been raised and most people go through life tipping people, tipping their service staff or their valet person or whatever, um, based on the kind of job they think that person did. And they have no idea, because it's always been that way, that it actually says more about you as a human being and what your money mindset is when you tip somebody than it does about the job that they did. And and here's why. If you are using money as a form of punishment when somebody does a bad job, how do you think you're going to view money?
2: Mm.
1: As a tool that you can punish with, or as a tool that determines good or bad. And that's going to, Create a relationship with money that is very dangerous, and so the way Lori and I tip people is we tip incredibly generously, whether they do a good job or a bad job. And most people think that's asinine. Why would you reward that person? Yeah, for doing a bad I felt job? my
0: little ego chime in and
1: right? be like, exactly. "What are you talking about?" Exactly. But here's why. Imagine what happens to that person. People know when they're doing a bad job, first of all, right? They're, that's a really good point. Dumb. Imagine somebody who is your server that has had the worst day of their life. That is why they're doing a bad job. You don't know what happened before they got there. And somebody still leaves them an epic tip. What do you think the chain reaction is after that? How do you think they treat the people going forward after that? How do you think their belief in humanity looks like after that? How do you think the rest of their day turns out, which then touches another person, touches another person, touches another person after that? When you tip someone, you are either reinforcing this chain reaction of bad events that they're going to pass on to other people, or you are changing the course into a positive experience that will then cause a ripple effect of positive interactions with people going forward. So when you tip someone, you don't realize it, but you are controlling like the energy, the chain reaction of energy that day going forward and you're either going to reinforce this bad spiral or you're going to change it for somebody and everyone else they come in contact with after that
0: that's so interesting and it's so true and i never thought about it like that and so for you it's and what i love about what you're sharing is that the feedback is really it's about your relationship to the universe and how you feel as a vehicle for doing good in the world and i can't help but ask you i am noticing right now and i know this is so silly but coffee shops have more tip tip opportunities Mm -hmm. than ever And there's a lot of places I've been going lately where there is no job being done for the tip. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? I see it all the time. So what is your relationship to that? Do you just tip like crazy anyway? Or like, because I've found that like I'll buy a candy bar at the front desk and and it'll be $2 and they have a tip thing. It's not a tip. It's like I put my credit card in the machine, you know, and the little iPad thing is like tip. And I'm like for the Snickers bar.
1: Yeah. Isn't that funny? So um, for anything where you typically tip for, I tip wildly generous. If it's something that is totally absurd like they are a cashier and you are just buying something on a retail transaction and they have a you know in, encourage something that encourages you to tip then I typically, you know, ignore it or yeah. sometimes I'll I'll tip anyways just cuz it's there. I see tipping as a chance to start a positive chain reaction the rest of the day beginning with that person. So if they're already having a good day, it's going to make it better. Oh, if they're having so a bad day, You're going to change the course of their day and you're not doing it for that person. You're doing it for the person that they come in contact with next. And then the person that they come in contact with and the person that they come in contact, that's who you're really tipping well for. Mm, So you're not, you're not punishing or rewarding your server. You're, you're, you're literally creating an act of kindness for all the people that they're going to have an effect on later.
0: Well, what about, you know, I remember when I lost all my money and, you know, now that I know, it's so funny. Like, I knew you had gone through something similar. I just mm-hmm. didn't know how similar.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like there are, there have been times for me, especially in entrepreneurship, where I'm like, God, I'm so fucking broke. Mm-hmm. And it feels like my bank account, is, and I'm so thankful it's not like this anymore, mm-hmm. you know? But feels like my bank account is like a toothpaste that I need to squeeze the last <laughs> yeah. piece like out of. Yeah, like rolling it up from the rolling end. Rolling the yes. toothpaste and it's like, fuck, how am I going to buy my smoothie or like my groceries? And I and I have given money in those moments, but I think that there's a lot of feedback, especially in personal development of like, that's when you still give to charity or you still, where, where do you draw the line of like, hey, I'm not doing, because I know a lot of people listening right now, maybe things are super tight and yeah. they're like, God, that tip is my groceries. Like, how do people show up in abundance in creating a good chain reaction for people around them And in saying, hey, this is a rough chapter for me and I'm going to honor that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's really get, let's really address this. Yeah. Number one, giving is what will change your financial situation. Because when you actually give in a moment where normally you wouldn't give, you're telling the universe, you're telling God, you're telling whatever you believe in that, wait a minute, I still do have abundance. And we all know that like attracts like. So if you are in the energy of, I have abundance, you're going to attract more abundance. If you're in the energy of, I have to cut back and I am broke, you're going to attract more broke. That's just the way the world works right now. That's number one. Number two, you don't tip, you don't give to the extent that it's going to hurt you because that's not living in abundance. That is just financial irresponsibility. Self-sabotage. Absolutely. Self-sabotage. Like the people I go out and they buy a, a Louis Vuitton bag even though they're totally broke because like, oh I'm gonna get into the energy of being abundant you know and they go buy a six thousand dollar bag <laughs> and they haven't paid rent yet. It's looking laughable, like
2: Cardi but it B on the, the red time. carpet. Yes, like yes,
1: that. that is not living in abundance. That is making your situation worse, which will keep you from feeling abundant. So we're talking about tips here. We're talking about ten, twenty, you know, thirty dollar type decisions. We're not talking about hundred dollar decisions or thousand dollar decisions when we're talking about this and and that's the rule of thumb don't give to an extent that's gonna make you feel as though it hurt you but make sure that you are giving to the extent that it makes you that it reminds the universe you still have something to give
0: So sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to U-Turn Podcast dot com slash clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast dot com slash clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I'm really feeling connected right now just through your story to like so many, so many of you who listen listen to this podcast because I was one of you. I've been the admin assistant making minimum wage and it's kind of a bad feedback cycle sometimes because or negative feedback loop, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you kind of get used to not having money. And I think you kind of get used to thinking like, this is your new normal. And a lot of the times we lose motivation and we kind of think like, this is life. This is what it is. And people get to that place where they forget mm-hmm. that there are, uh, are books like the one you mentioned or that there's opportunity to reset your thermostat and that you're not where you came from. You're not your circumstances. You're who you are on Friday doesn't have to be who you are on Monday. Yeah. So I'm super curious for everybody listening. Like, what is a good step that you can recommend for somebody who's feeling like they don't see the light, like they, they're sick of being broke or they're sick of feeling like they can't afford that trip to go see their friend. You know, my, one of my best, best friends lives in Paris. I live there part-time, but before I lived there part-time, I didn't see her because she couldn't swing coming out here. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I know a lot of you listening are probably like, yeah, I want to reset my thermostat, but. But I'm down and out. I'm down and out and I don't feel motivated. And that shows up in your bank account, right? Like, and I was in that place for a long time. So I'm especially curious about your feedback with motivation because there was a long period out. And and those of you who don't know my story too much, I was on Chris, Chris's podcast talking about it. I haven't talked much about it on my own podcast, which Ah. Amanda Bougie is going to interview me and grill me and corner me. And I'm going to be like in a fetal position crying on the floor. You'll know when that happens. You'll see an Insta story of me like having a meltdown. Yeah. And so I'm going to share my story, but. You know, Chris, on, on your podcast, just talking about how I lost, you know, I made and lost, you know, more than $5 million in like just mm-hmm. a few months period. I lost motivation, you know, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of you are like, well, I didn't quite frankly lose motivation after I made five milli. So maybe you yeah. lost motivation because you just have a salary and you're bored and you're uninspired. What can we do just to like get started? Okay. So on this is such a great question. Path? Yeah.
1: Whether you are rich, broke or anywhere in between, it is your job to seek out positive propaganda that will reinforce where you want to go. Let me repeat that. It is your job to seek out, not to let it fall in your lap, not to let it show up by default, to seek out positive propaganda to reinforce where you want to go and what you want your life to look like. So if you are broke as a joke, podcasts are free. Walking around a wealthy neighborhood with beautiful homes is free. You know, um, going and sitting in your dream car at a car dealership is free reading a book on money mindset or an autobiography of somebody who went from, from broke to wealthy or from unhappy to happy or whatever your goal is. It's free, right? There's this thing called library that most of us forget about where you can go get a free book. The ability to create positive propaganda in your life Most people just let propaganda fall into their lap, whether they turn on the news, whether they listen to their friends, whether they, you know, look at the, the, just, you know, taking whatever happens to be on their Facebook wall, their Instagram wall. They just let propaganda show up instead of purposely seeking out the propaganda that's going to reinforce where they want to go. And the number one thing that people forget to look at is you got to look at your loved ones. You got to look at your tribe and you have to ask honestly. Are they reinforcing, are they giving me propaganda that reinforces where I want to go and how I want to live? Or are they accidentally and unknowingly reinforcing this down and out situation I have right now? And I'll give you an example. When you decide you want to start a side hustle and you start putting in those extra hours, do your loved ones say things like, oh, I remember when you were fun, Ashley, now you're just busy, Ashley. They may actually be coming from a place of love saying, I loved hanging out with you and now we don't hang out anymore. But unfortunately, unknowingly, they are giving you negative feedback. They are giving you negative propaganda in that situation that is putting a dent in your dreams and causing you to pull the throttle back on this side hustle that you were chasing. So that's one example of how sometimes your loved ones, your very own tribe, will accidentally hold you back unknowingly by giving you negative propaganda or this is why I can't stand either. When you go for a job and you don't get it, you know, maybe there's a few jobs you wanted and you don't get them. Or maybe when something doesn't work out in your favor and right away they console you by saying, Oh, that's okay. You know what? Let's go get a drink. It wasn't meant to be. I understand. They think they're being loving, Mm -hmm. but I'd rather someone say, listen, that's only one of a million opportunities. Let's roll up our sleeves together. Let's go find another opportunity. Let's figure out how we're going to approach it differently this time. And I'm going to hold you accountable to going and running through that damn wall better this time. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of friend I want. Not the one that says, oh, that's okay.
0: Well, you know what? Uh, You're really, I think, hitting a chord for a lot because you're definitely hitting one for me. and when I think about it, number one, there's all different areas of your life that there's like an incongruence where maybe you're listening right now and you're thinking, I want to transform my results with food and with my body mm-hmm. or with money. I have a friend, I just found out about all these allergies that I've been you know, bitching to everybody about that I can't eat cake anymore because I can't have eggs and it's been a whole depression cycle. But I've actually ever since I started meditating and starting feeling better, I'm like, wow, feeling good feels so good mm-hmm. that I don't want to eat things that make me feel bad. And I have a couple friends where we go out a lot. And part of our relationship is we like to go out to new restaurants and try new food. And one of my girlfriends, she likes to try everything. And I'm like a roadblock for her now because mm-hmm. I can't have dairy. I can't have eggs. you know, And I had to go through the whole judgment on myself. And I'm noticing that she's like, Ashley's no fun anymore. So she has some communication mm. about it. Ashley's no fun. She's really limited with Her snacks, you know, I had to speak up and say something. And ever since then, she's been a lot better. Yeah. But it's just an example. And here's another thing is I think everybody, you know, as they enter into the holidays, especially it's like with your family. So, for example, my mom has always believed that I can do anything. And and ever since I was a kid, it was almost like too much positive feedback. (laughs) You know, like I thought I was funnier than I was maybe. Because she would be like, You're going to be president someday. You know, you're going to, I'm going to vote for you. Thanks, Chris. I would vote for you, quite (laughs) frankly. You're such a wake person, you know, and so that's great. But I also have been around a dad who lost all of his money and spent his entire life trying to bounce back. And he's in a, Fear-based, scarcity-based cycle, and he's such a funny. My my dad is like out of control funny. He has like an eating addiction, Mm -hmm. but it's like the funny kind because like Mm -hmm. somehow like his cholesterol isn't completely like falling apart, and like he's a doc. He goes to the dent or the doctor, and they're like, "You're a miracle." Like they watch him eat. You know, the other day I walked past his printer, and he printed off like a new type of burger that McDonald's is offering.
1: No way. Like he
0: printed it, and I'm like, I go to the printer, I'm like, "What's with the the print out this burger?" Like
1: manifesting what he's gonna eat. (laughs) I love it.
0: Not even man. He's just on his way over yeah, That's there. like a and whole wants different to bring the level of
1: excitement when you print out the pictures yeah. of what you're going to go order.
0: Yeah, he has like a reverse eating disorder. But the thing is about him is that it's like he's this hilarious character in my life. But with money, he himself has struggled so much to bounce back. And yeah. he, of course, has like provided for our family and supported us. And ever since he lost his company when I was a little girl, like, you know, we, we never wanted for anything. But it wasn't without hearing a dialogue in the household from him. And and my brother has become a saver as a result of it, like holds on to everything. And yeah. he's highly responsible. My dad has become like a sufferer, you know, like mm-hmm. anxiety. And then my mom's like, you could do anything you want. So when I go to my family's house for it's the holidays, a it's a hell of a mix. Yeah. yeah. I kind of feel like I'm shaking up in a little snow globe <laughs> over there. <laughs> like I feel like I'm like walking into a snow globe and I go to my family's house and it's like, like oh waiting for the snow to settle so I can <laughs> hear myself again. And, you know, and then there's the extended family, which is like 50% Hicks and 50% educated. So it's like a really interesting blend. And I guess, you know, I'm sorry, you know, Hicks out there, we love you, but you know who you are.
2: We're all people. Keeping
0: it basic yes. as hell. We, we the people. But you know, that side of the family that doesn't value education, which by the way, totally hear your story. My dad didn't graduate college. I totally have so many entrepreneurs in my life that like don't feel connected to it. So I have no stories about that in my mind. But a lot of them just don't value growth, you know? Mm -hmm. Like they're like, why are you going to that seminar? And I'm like, I'm just trying to get better, you know? And so I've found that it's created a distance between me and my family. Mm -hmm. And it's created this heartbreak that I'm still working through in my 30s of like, Oh, I can see how badly they want me to be there for all of their barbecues.
1: Yeah.
0: And I I just want to be with my friends who I've carefully selected. I know
1: where you're going and I love this so much. Help.
0: Help so, everybody.
1: Listen, everybody <laughs> has this going on in their life, right? I want to get better. But when I get better, it creates a gap between me and the people I care about.
2: Mhm. Why people don't
0: wake up, right? Because yeah, it sucks. Exactly. The truth sucks because exactly. it hurts, but it's great too.
1: So here's a couple of things. Number one, transcending people is the hardest thing to do. And that is why most people never go where they're meant to go. That's number one. Number two, you are never leaving people behind. Yes, there's a gap that'll form for a while, but you are never leaving people behind. They have the choice to come along or not. But how dare you stay back just because they're not ready to come along right now. And number three, if you don't go where you're meant to go, and this is for anything, whether you want to be fit or whether you want to be wealthy or whether, no matter what it is, if you do not unapologetically go where you are meant to go, then they have no chance, no chance at discovering this new way of life because you led by example and possibly waking up and saying, at first I thought you were crazy, Ashley. And I know we had some troubles the past year or two, but I see you thriving, thriving, At such a high level, I wonder if you could teach me what you've done as well. And now, your loved ones, your family members, your significant other, your friends, now because you led by example and showed what was possible, they are open to the idea of doing the same thing. And if you stay back, then they have no example to follow and all of you will just continue to live in mediocrity. Mm. And so that gap is so damn uncomfortable, but it is a necessary discomfort for you to not only go where you're meant to go, but to also inspire your loved ones. If you really care about your loved ones, and this is loved ones in any form, if you actually care about them, then you are going to be bold enough to do the uncomfortable thing to wake them up. And they're mm-hmm. not going to wake up on your timeline, by the way. So you I've learned that. Be, yeah. <laughs> you cannot be married to a timeline. But I speak from experience when I say, if you go first, the ones that are meant to wake up and come along will wake up and come along in their own timing. They will never wake up and come along if you don't go, though.
0: You know, it's so it's like it's so powerful. I want to ask you about what it means to transcend people because I think a lot of people probably heard that and they're like, how oh, the hell do I, what is that even... And this reminds me of my Uncle Bob, who, like, was probably the most distant one in my head. He shows up to a family get-together recently, and he's like, I've been following you on Twitter. He's a rocket scientist. I've been following you on Twitter, Ashley, and you've, you're saying some good things on there. See, you know? it works. It's, and
1: it, it, if, if, if you will. didn't go first, Uncle Bob would never start to get interested in that stuff. Yeah. So my dad is one of the coolest men on the planet, but he is I believe it. your typical engineer. Everything has to be realistic yeah. and everything has to be the way, the way engineers say, if you know an engineer, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he is the furthest thing from believing in manifesting or any of that stuff that he would originally label as woo woo. But because Lori and I went first, because we led by example, my dad will now send text messages or, um, articles or whatever. He's gone from this this really practical engineer to like, "Hey, look, more proof that you can manifest, you know, this this and this or here's another person that manifested this." And now he he he's like having so much fun in life with this concept of everything doesn't have to be practical. There can be some unexplained reasons why things show up in your life if you choose to believe in going that route. And so we have caused change in our family, positive change in our family in the way they think, in their levels of ambition, in the way that they take care of themselves physically, in their money mindset, in all of these ways that we have had a positive influence on our family because we went first. And let me tell you, there was a couple of years where I was like, this is the roughest it's ever been between me and my family, Uh, especially when we moved out here to California. You know, they, for an entire year, they had the story of, you guys are abandoning us and your dreams are more important than your sense of family. And And that's
0: totally something I would hear for sure.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. But we went anyways. And Mm. guess what? After a really shitty year, all of a sudden they love that we came out here and they love now they come out here by the way for winters. They weren't doing that before. And they love that we're thriving and they love the new ideas that we're bringing back to the family. And they love our new Christmas traditions and they love, love, love all these things that only exist in our lives because we went through that really uncomfortable year and we went anyways. Mm, Otherwise we'd all be stuck back doing the same things we were, leading a life of mediocrity, Mm. just because we wanted to keep everybody comfortable.
0: Yeah, it's like, sorry, I'm not sorry in the end. Well, and it's also challenging in that gap, you're so right, because for me, it's like, God, my parents are getting older, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm noticing my dad the other day, he was making a sandwich, you know, eating all his snacks in the kitchen and I was having a whole conversation with him and I realized he didn't hear me, so he's mm-hmm. losing some of his hearing. And I looked at my mom my brother, I'm like, did he not hear any of that? They're like, yeah, no, his hearing is going. So I'm like, in this emotional space of like, my family isn't gonna be here always, like my parents. So I want to spend time with them, but I also don't want to do it at my expense because I love them. I enjoy them. But then I hit that limit where I'm like, oh, this is going to affect my mindset. Like this isn't going to help me create who I want to be in the world. Mm -hmm. Whereas we have friendships and you have them too with Lori. It's like we've got a crazy group of people that are so amazing. I've so carefully selected the friendships that I have, the people that are close to me and the conversations that Mm -hmm. I'm having that are so key for my upliftment that, yeah. It, so it's an interesting dynamic. And I'm curious, one thing you said at the beginning before we start recording is you said you have the obligation to be as financially strong as possible. Yeah. What does that mean?
1: So listen, whether you are in corporate America, whether you are um, an entrepreneur, no matter what your modality of creating financial stability is, you have an obligation, a moral obligation to you, to your family, to your surroundings, to your city, to the charities you care about, to everything that you could create impact on. You have a moral obligation to thrive as large as you can financially. And here's why. If everybody would play to their highest ability and make as much money as they possibly could, we would have enough solutions, enough products, and enough wealth to solve every damn problem in the world. I really believe that. But the problem is this. Most people aren't living up to their end of the bargain, right? They're working hard. Don't get me wrong, but they're not doing the uncomfortable things it takes to absolutely and utterly thrive. And this goes from maybe people that could lift themselves from welfare to taking care of themselves. This goes from people who go from taking care of themselves to having extra money to give to those in need. This goes from people who are um, have a little bit of abundance to a level of now they can give millions of dollars and create like meaningful change. Here's another good example. If you're living a paycheck to paycheck right now, you can help somebody by doing a small act of kindness and that's good. And, and everybody should do that, but you can't really fix problems. Hmm. All you can do is put band-aids on them. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. Like if you care about inner city poverty, You can go hand out food on Wednesdays in the food line, but that's putting a Band-Aid on the problem. You did nothing to fix the problem. Mm. If you have an extra $10 million, you can actually do something to fix the problem. You can influence a program, start a program. You can do the things it takes to fix the problem once and for all. Mm. And so that's why I say we have a moral obligation to do better. We have a moral obligation to thrive financially because right now most of us are just putting band-aids on things. Mm-hmm. What would happen if we had the ability to really change things?
0: You know, and it'll also coexist because I I know coming from politics, it's like, one of the biggest things that I used to hear when I go to meetings with the World Bank is they would say, ain't no check going to put a third world country on its feet still because mm-hmm. it's not the money alone, right? It's yep. the strategy. It's the people. It's the creativity. And so this really lines up with what you're saying too. It's like, yeah, the check is going to like further all of the resources, mm-hmm. but we still need people to be in their highest and best use and be their best selves so that they can bring their brilliance into the world, which is what I really been coaching on, you know, in my practice mm-hmm. forever is like how to figure out who you are and how to turn that into a career. Cause so many people come up to you and they say, I want to find my purpose. I'm like, Oh no, no, no. Like you, you don't need clarity. You just need to hear yourself think.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of the times people are, they have so many limiting beliefs, keeping them from going out there and being themselves, whether it's that they can't make money doing it. There's not, there's not no room on top. You know, yeah. there's so much room on top.
1: There is. There's room for everybody to do whatever they want. Yeah. Like, listen, this world is infinite. You are not broke because somebody else has your share. You are broke because you have not yet done your share. And I know that's going to strike a chord with people. Like they're going to be pissed off hearing that, Yeah. but there is not, true. there's not just this limited amount of money to go around. Money is infinite. I'll give you an example. If you own Apple stock, I'm looking at my, my laptop right here is mm-hmm. in between you and I, mm-hmm. if you own Apple stock, and you own 100 shares and it's worth $200 a share right now, then you've got, what is that, $20,000 worth of wealth. Let's say that stock goes from $200 a share to $300 a share. Your wealth just went from $20,000 to $30,000, but you didn't get more shares. More wealth was created in the world based off of perception that Apple is going to do better or is doing better and that increased it literally printed money in your bank account in that situation you didn't go out and work harder you didn't take it from someone else you know somebody else didn't lose money on their shares for your shares to go up no there's nothing more than the perception of Apple is healthy so their shares went up and the number of shares that you held caused your net worth to go up money is this fictional thing it just grows and shrinks and grows and shrinks and you can go get and create any portion of wealth that you want without taking from somebody else mm. and this whole concept here's where people sometimes get hung up they're like well wait a minute if somebody gives me a thousand for a product they are now without a thousand dollars and i have a thousand dollars and the answer is no they want to have given you a thousand dollars for a product if they didn't receive equal value in return for their thousand dollars, because the exchange of money is nothing more than an energy exchange. It's an equal energy Mm -hmm. uh, exchange. So let's say the thousand dollar product that you sold them was an e-course on how to, I don't know, thrive in life. Mm -hmm. They give you a thousand bucks, you're a thousand bucks richer. They now have a course that might be worth a hundred thousand to them or a million to them or 10 million to them. Because of the knowledge in that course mm-hmm. and they found more value or a better return in of, of investment by giving you the thousand dollars for that course, so you're not you're never taking from somebody you're just exchanging energy
2: gosh, it's
0: so good, and you know i'm I'm just also thinking you you talked about ownership and you said it's as empowering as it is frustrating, oh yeah. And I could already feel myself being like, I know. So tell me about that for everybody who's listening.
1: So I'm going to use myself as as an example. If you remember my story, the recession came, and I was given uh, an option to take a demotion, a demotion, a demotion, a demotion, or a severance package and start over. Now, a lot of people, when I hear them tell their stories about those years, you know, 2008, they say, "Well, then the recession happened." Or the recession happened to me. Or I was in banking, so I was, of course, a victim like everybody else. Or I was in real estate, so of course, you know, I got my butt handed to me like everyone else. The recession did not happen to you. (laughs) You happened to you. And I'm using myself as an example to prove it to you. I can go back and trace my steps. And here's where people typically aren't willing to do this. You can go back and trace your steps. I can go back and trace my steps to the moment in time where I made a decision to either spend all of our money or stay in banking or choose to not foresee the upcoming um, recession. Like there's a million times Mm -hmm. where I could have taken a different direction that would have been a better decision that would have caused me to be just fine during the recession, even though the recession was going on. So it's this willingness to go look back and find the evidence that yeah sure enough you were responsible for your outcome for that outcome that is not very good at the moment and what happens is when you accept that responsibility for the outcome you realize holy crap if i'm powerful enough to put myself in this position then i'm also powerful enough to put myself in a different position Hmm. And it's that 100% responsibility of your outcome, not your circumstance, but your outcome. And the difference is this. The circumstance is there is a recession, but the outcome can be, I got rich during the recession. Because by the way, I have a lot of friends who got very, very rich during the recession while everybody else was going broke. Mm -hmm. And that's because they were taking a different level of responsibility for their outcome when during a, during a rough time.
0: Mm, well, it's almost like life is a TV and there's all sorts of different channels, right? Mm-hmm. And one channel is the recession channel. One channel is the not hiring. Yes. channel. During the recession, it would be crazy to say that no one was hiring. Oh, there's still people hiring. Uh, if, we, I, so it's uh, like, which channel are you on? Are you on the hiring channel that you tuned into that? You know,
1: exactly. You know, we, uh, I took a partnership in a mortgage bank when I lost my job, um, with the, with the, the big international bank. And there's this tiny little mortgage brokerage at the time at the tail end of the recession in an industry that was getting hammered Mm. and everybody was closing shop, but I had no options. And this guy came to me and he said, Chris, you're good at the things I'm not. I'm good at the things you're not. I think together we could really grow this thing. So sure enough, we went on to grow that little tiny mortgage brokerage into a great big mortgage bank doing $330 million a year with 155 employees in seven States in 36 months at the tail end of the recession. In an industry where everybody else was closing shop, we were hiring. There was opportunity. A lot of people made a lot of money at that shop. There is always, always a chance to thrive in any situation. You have to be willing to go find that opportunity and thrive in it. Mm. And typically, it's always going to look very different than what you're used to.
0: Oh, it's so funny. It's like that quote, like, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're mm-hmm. right. And it's like, it's so easy to roll your eyes at quotes like that. But here it is. And, yeah. and you know, I've, you talked about employment and money patterns as an mm-hmm. indicator for your mindset or for where you're at. And I know we're wrapping up soon, but I would love to know, like, for everybody listening, the, the concept of patterns is huge in personal development. Oh, yeah. That's where the growth is. Is yeah. like, do you keep doing something and something keep happening? Are that's, you willing to
1: look at that pattern? Right? Yeah.
0: So what, what, is, what do you have to say for people who want to start getting kind of hip? to their Mm -hmm. own money mindset, what their patterns are, and stuff like that.
1: So again, the willingness to go look back at your pattern in a very objective way. Okay. Right? So not subjective where you're going to justify, well, this happened to me, or well, I was in a bad time, or well. No. Objectively, look back at your pattern. Do you always spend extra money the minute you get extra money on something fun? That's a pattern. Do you always fall into the pattern of, cutting back, cutting back, cutting back instead of earning more, earning more, earning more. That's a pattern. Do you always see yourself in a pattern of giving to other people to the level at which it hurts you, right? Mm. Some people play the martyr like that. That's a pattern. So there's all these patterns that if you're willing to look at objectively, they become glaringly obvious. And when you recognize the pattern, then you can say, okay, Why, why do I participate in this pattern? How does it serve me? And this is the important question. How does it serve me? And when you can answer how it's serving you, and it's usually in a way that's going to surprise you, then you can recognize why you're staying in that pattern and you can start to discover how you can get out of that pattern. So I'll use myself as, as an example, um, back when we lost everything. I was in the pattern of I would get a raise, I'd buy a bigger house and a nicer car. I'd mm. get another raise, we'd get a bigger house and a nicer car. I'd get another raise, we'd get a bigger house and a nicer car. I mean, this happened every time we'd move cities every single More money, more stuff. And the pattern was this. I had to show that I got that promotion and got that raise to the outside world. Why did I have to show that? Because my worth at the time was attached to it. And you could have told me while I was in this pattern that I was doing that. And I would have given you a hundred reasons why you're wrong. Cause I didn't want to face it. But looking back, it's so easy to see that it was serving me. And this is why I said the most important question is how is it serving you? The way it was serving me is it was significance. Wow. Can you believe they're moving and getting a bigger house again? They must be doing everything right. Wow. They just moved and got a bigger house and now they're getting a bigger house again they must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. It was significance mm-hmm. is how it was serving me.
0: You know, this it and even if you're listening right now, maybe you look in the mirror and you think the words, I'm fat. Maybe that's serving you because you go to the gym yeah. when you hear that in your head. Yep. But I'm also, you know, wrapping up, it's like I've had some really big names on this podcast and I haven't aired the interviews because there's like a level of ego that I found where they come on and they're like, well, I'm here, you know? And it's like, I'm breathing the air on this podcast. I'm like, well, Shay, you got to share something that (laughs) is of inspiration. And and they do their elevator pitch and it's like they're spewing content over an hour, but it's the same old stuff that, Mm. and I'm finding that you're, you're so grounded and I'm curious, how do you stay grounded? How do you not let it get to you? Because, you know, here we are and you have a nice home in Los Angeles. So you've done well. So has Lori. And you guys are such good souls. So how are you keeping yourself anchored?
1: Number one, when I was stripped of all of those identities back then, you know, around 29, 30 years old, that was one of the best gifts of my life because it forced me to say, what is my real value and how do I want to show up? And for me to be so aware of how far I in one direction I went, that it made me hyper-conscious about never wanting to go in that direction again. Mm. So that was a gift. But let's be honest, those gifts can wear off, Mm -hmm. and you can go right back to your old patterns. Mm -hmm. So then number two, I have made a commitment to doing the work and to surrounding myself with the people that will reinforce how I want to show up in life. And I have like a zero-tolerance policy To have anybody in life or to, you know, allow any habits in life that are going to put me back into any of those old patterns of getting significance from the wrong areas. And it's just the awareness and and the inner desire to want to show up differently this time that keeps us grounded and keeps us hyper aware of how are we showing up and is it in a way that serves other people and humanity? Or is it in a way that's just serving us?
0: And when you lost all your money and you bounced back, it sounded like that happened over a year. Is that the timeline? No. Because my question is like, how long yeah, did it no, take no, for you no, to no. get it? You know? It was like
1: uh, four, three three and a half to four years. So get this. Um, when I was a partner in that mortgage bank, as a minority partner and, and Todd, the other guy, he was the one that started it and he was a majority partner. And while the bank was thriving and we were crushing it, we personally weren't taking money out of the bank. Mm. My pay plan was this. Um, Every quarter, the first blank uh, X number of dollars all went to Todd because he started the company of profit. Then whatever was left over in profit above that number, we would split 50-50. And so if we created profit above and beyond that number, we took home paychecks. But we were reinvesting into that Mortgage bank to grow it. I know all about that, right? Mm -hmm. That there was usually very little to no profit left to split. So, for 36 months while this company was thriving, I personally and financially was not thriving. Mm -hmm. And it was due to ego. I was more worried about having that title of partner than I was about making the decisions that would bring in the kind of money that I desired
0: oh my gosh the shit we're willing to do to be, have a title and it's all part of business ownership it's, is reinvesting is. too but it is funny those of you listening right now you know who you are oh. if you're exchanging all sorts of great things for a title on a resume we gotta talk yeah okay so final question and then I'm gonna ask you where everybody can find you because I myself you know wanna learn just more about you and Lori in this way because it's so f- we have so much fun when I see you guys I just talk and socialize with you but to learn about your career is so much fun for me I wanna ask you, when you leave the room, when you leave a conversation, if you could give it one word of what experience you want people to say they had of you, what do you wanna stand for for people? Impact. Great, great. So when you leave the room, if they say that made an impact.
1: I wanna leave every single freaking human being better than I found them.
0: Beautiful, that's great. Thank you, and okay, now, you know, if you have any books people can read to go even further than the one you mentioned and where people could find you, that would be so great.
1: So, um, the book I had mentioned was, um, secrets of the millionaire mind by T Harbecker. There's another book called, um, you are a Badass at making money. Mm -hmm. That is so freaking good and up to date by Jen Sincero. You have to read it even on audio. It's a great entertaining book and it'll create breakthroughs left and right for you. So I highly suggest both of those books. Um, tune into my podcast. It's just for F O R for the love of money.com. And what I do is I interview people like yourself and, and we expose this common thread of generosity in people's success stories so that you can realize when good people make good money, they actually do great things. Mm. And it makes you unapologetic about then going out and making good money. Cause you know, you're going to be one of the good guys, one of the good gals, instead of somebody who shows up as greedy or, or nasty in life. Yeah, so tune into that podcast for the love of money.com and Instagram is the only platform I hang out on these days. So I'm Chris W Harder on Instagram and I've committed to answering every single DM I get.
0: You're just so cool, Chris. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm so appreciative.
1: Totally. My pleasure. This is a blast. It yeah, flew by.
0: So good. Yeah. It flew by. I think it was more than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. And I figured we could talk a little bit about abundance because I love how Chris Harder in this episode talked about how it's our job to surround ourselves with positive propaganda. And one of the things this makes me think about is just growing up with the news on in the background and not realizing that our subconscious mind is picking up on whatever it's hearing all the time. And that's why I'm so much more intentional about the sounds and the music and the things that I surround myself with. And it's not in a way where I'm paranoid, but it is in a way where I'm aware and I'm intentional about what I'm constantly around, whether it's people, places. um, I'm just really picking up on energy and thoughts that I'm allowing myself to be exposed to. Um, And one of the things that I just love that he said, again, was about positive propaganda. And one of the things that I have constantly found abundance in is my relationships. And a lot of this reminds me of the paperclip experiment, which is something you can Google. Um, There is an experiment where somebody started with a paperclip and they kept trading it for different things. Like somebody needed a paperclip and he traded it for something else and he ended up with a house. Like he traded the paperclip for maybe a pen, then the pen for a pad, and then a pad for something else. Um, I'm not really sure exactly what he traded all along the way. There's an entire story on the internet about it. And I believe he wrote a book about it. But It's all to say that he started with a paperclip and he turned it into a house because he kept trading different items and working his way up by exchanging value. And in a lot of the ways that he did that, it makes me think a lot about my private practice as a coach, my e-courses, anything I've ever created, your career, what you're working on and how money is neutral. But what's not neutral is how you hold it in your emotions, what your emotionality is with it and a lot of our money mindsets come from how we've been imprinted, how we've grown up. And so for me, you, you know, you all know that my dad lost all of his money when I was a kid and so I came from a lot of high highs and low lows and as you know, you know, I created my e-course business and it I was in debt 150k. Next thing I knew it blew up and it made 5 million dollars in 3 months and then I lost a lot. So it's because of my imprinting, because of me growing up exposed to high highs and low lows. That's something that I kind of played out and recreated as an adult. And a lot of that has to do with what Gay Hendricks in the book The Big Leap calls an upper limit problem, where essentially he asks you, Are you willing to let it be this good? And because I experience high highs and I have an emotional set point and a blueprint inside of me that stops things from being even better. Um, doesn't want to allow them to be amazing because of my blueprint, because of my imprinting, because of how I grew up, because of what is my comfort zone. Because at the end of the day, Whether you like it or not, your comfort zone is exactly that. It's a comfort zone. And that's why sometimes people who end up in unhealthy relationships, they look at, they'll look at you and say, that person feels like home to me. Even though that person's beating the shit out of them or something really, really awful. Um, people feel a sense of home with people and they mistake those feelings of home with it being right for them. And sometimes it does mean it's right for them, but other times it means it's the same dysfunction that they've been exposed to their whole life. And that's why it feels like home to them. So, The first thing I think after listening to this episode is to take a look at your mindset and how you're relating to money. Um, How do you hold money in your heart? Does it feel like there's always enough? Does it feel like you always need more? Does it feel like, do you feel bitter about people who have it? I mean, if you just fill in the blank and you think to yourself money is and you fill in the blank, I'm so curious what your thoughts would be. Um, The second thing is to think a lot about abundance um, because that is something beyond just the form of money. There's so much to abundance. And one of the areas in my life that I've created a lot of abundance is my friendships. I feel such a sense of richness around the women in my life um, and some very cool and evolved men too, like Jason Goldberg. And what I'm finding is that when I take a look at my relationships, there's so much abundance in them, not just in them picking up the phone when I'm having a rough day, not just in them, you know, my girlfriends who have good business minds sitting down with me and helping me in my business, but also abundance in the standpoint where when I lost everything in my business, people had vacation homes and they were texting me saying, hey, do you want to stay at my vacation house for a month? And You know, it was such an abundant experience for me to be going through loss and have so many people in my life who could provide things to me that have monetary value in the world, but they were just freely offering them to me out of the kindness of their hearts. And what I found was that whether I have money or not, creating what felt like very rich relationships in my soul has been such a source of abundance in my life that it has pushed me to an edge of wanting to create abundance everywhere else. So here's what I mean. If you want to feel something in your life right now, all you need to do is ask yourself, how can I start? Where can I start creating that feeling? Because what happens is it's kind of like floodgates. Once you start to feel it somewhere, it's almost like subconsciously you want to start creating it elsewhere. You start to find ways to create it elsewhere. So, in the same way that I kind of looked in the mirror and was like, you know what? I really want. Abundance in my finances. I had such abundant relationships that that just felt like a natural next way to use my energy. And that's exactly what I did. And I healed so much in my money mindset because of that, so much in my bank account, my finances because of that. And so I just want to ask you now where in your life are you creating scarcity? Are you having a story that in your head that there's never enough time? You're always busy. You can't just get enough done, never enough money. Or do you get a lot of FOMO? Maybe you, you can't possibly be at all the places you want to be and you have a lot of FOMO that you're missing out on, friends getting, back, getting together, doing something because you're out of town. Where are you feeling FOMO or scarcity? And then this is just an invitation for two things. The first thing is trust. Really trusting that you are where you're supposed to be. There is enough time. There is enough money. There is enough opportunity. You are not too late. There is no scarcity in being too late to go do something. You're right on time right on time for yourself. That's the first thing. The second thing is asking where you can create more abundance in your life. And abundance doesn't just have to mean money. It's just a richness and a joy and a fulfillment where your cup feels full. So where is your cup wanting to be more full? That's my invitation to you. And um, asking yourself, what can you do today to create a fuller cup, whether it's in your friendships, in your finances, um, and what I've found is that a lot of the times I am creating an empty cup for myself by being in denial because the first step of changing your life is really facing something for where it is. So if you feel like your finances aren't good, really take a look at what are you doing to create that? If you feel like your friendships aren't where you want them to be, what are you doing? How are you showing up in the world to not be creating the friendships you want? Because in order to be – in order to have a great friend, you need to be a great friend, right? In order to have great finances, you need to be great at managing your finances and your budget. Um, So these are just all invitations for you. I thought Chris Harder was such a fucking epic episode. He's such an amazing human and Lori Harder, his wife, oh my god. If you haven't checked out her podcast as well, Earn Your Happy, highly recommend it. Uh, as well as Chris Harder's podcast for the love of money, two incredible humans. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, hit me up on the gram at Ashley Stahl. would love to hear what you thought of this episode. Thank you so much for sharing it, getting out there, writing reviews on iTunes, all that you're doing to support me. It means the world. This podcast has been such a joy and I hope that this episode really sits with you as it did me and helps you grow. All right. Sending you lots of love. all on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.